Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our continuation of our conference breakdown series, and today we're breaking down the Pac-12. So the seven teams we're going to talk about today are USC, UCLA, Colorado, Oregon, Stanford, Oregon State, and Arizona. And at the end of the episode, Jalen and I will pick our sleeper team. So let's start with USC. Jalen, how much of an effect does Evan Mobley have on USC? Oh, I mean, he is he is that guy for them right now. I mean, honestly, it's not even debatable that – I mean, he's a guy right now – you have to remember, he's playing as a potential top five overall pick in the upcoming NBA draft. And he's – I mean, he's playing like a legitimately – in 38 minutes against Stanford at 23-11, and 11, huge game – and that one, and then you look at the most recent game that USC won against UCLA. And that game, I mean, it wasn't even that crazy for him. It was nine, nine, and three. But in reality, he didn't even have to do very much because the game was never really in reach. They won that game 66 to 48. Um, I think that Evan Mobley, honestly, when you take a look at who he is as a player, he's kind of everything that we thought we were gonna see in James Wiseman from Memphis last season but maybe actually a little bit more polished overall. I still think that he kind of struggles a bit defensively, but I think that overall, I think he's one of those players that just has a significant impact at a position you don't expect to see so much from. But I think that one of the interesting things for Evan is just the fact that in, in the college game, this is the area where the seven-foot center with good footwork, legitimate inside game, has a little bit of a stretch pull-up to him, different things like that. I think that's where you really take a look at his overall game and you look at him as like a dominant college-style player. And I think that's why it makes sense that USC is at the top, which is really interesting because most people would affiliate sports in USC as Reggie Bush in the football team but you know in terms of this season it seems like Evan Mobley is putting them on the map and they're at the top of the Pac-12 amongst some of the better teams in the country and doing their thing right now and Mobley's averaging 16 points nine rebounds two assists and close to three blocks a game and he's shooting 58 percent from the field he's really helped USC to become a contender in the Pac-12 and he's been dominant in the paint by grabbing rebounds and blocking shots. And I I have to disagree on how you feel about his defense. I think he's been the defensive force that USC has asked him to be. And he has two games to show for it. He has two games where he has six blocks a game. Even when he isn't attempting a lot of shots, like in the game against UCLA, he manages to get four blocks in that game Against He manages to get four blocks in that game against UCLA, and it helps when he has a supporting cast. Taj Edey, for example, averaging close to 13 points a game, which is up from last year's nine points a game. He had 16 against UCLA. Ethan Anderson had 19 points coming off the bench in that game, and he, he's been shooting the ball well consistently for from three. So the reason why I keep bringing up the UCLA game is because that win – that UCLA or that that USC had over UCLA 
allowed them to gain first place in the conference, which could be huge for them in the long run. Yeah, and I think another thing that you should touch on, or I think that we should go ahead and look at with USC too, is just what they what they do as an overall team. I, maybe you're correct. I might have been sleeping on um, Evan Mobley's defense a little bit, especially with the fact that they're like the number one rebounding team in the conference and they're the number one shots blocking team in the conference. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with Evan Mobley as well. The numbers may be skewed by those two games, but he is relatively consistent in that department. But something else that I think is really important is too, if you look at some of the stuff that's, that really stands out, their first overall and opponent's uh, field goal percentage in the conference. Um, I mean, that's one of the bigger things that stands out for me is that they're, they're playing, pretty solid defense as, as one of the better defensive teams in the conference. They're first in opponents field goal percentage regularly. They're first in opponents two point field goal percentage. So they're basically not getting anything within 15 feet or in. And then, you know, when it comes to three point percentage, they're the third best team in the conference. So when you say a stifling defense, this is kind of one of those things, which in the PAC 12 can get you really far because there's a lot of teams that are kind of, I would say offensively potent, but very offensive reliant in terms of not really looking at the Pac-12 as having any teams that are like locked down defensive squads, but USC seems to stand out as one of those better defensive teams. So moving on now to our second team and the team that that USC played in UCLA. Jalen, this team lost Chris Smith for the season, and I feel like it's a huge loss mainly because he's their leading scorer. Who do you feel like has stepped up to fill the role of Chris Smith. I mean, this has obviously been like a very team effort thing. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot that you can look at. I mean, unfortunately, like you said before, Chris Smith went down after really only playing, like I think he played less than 10 games this season, but I mean, Jamie Jaquez, he's a guy that really comes out, uh, stands out to me. Johnny Juzang is another guy. And then obviously the best hairstyle in the game, Tiger, Tiger Campbell, out here just, you know, doing his overall thing. Um, Cause Ty, I mean, Tiger's averaging 11 points, nearly six assists per game, nearly a steal and a half per game. Um, I mean, between those three guys, they're averaging about like 35 points combined together. So, I mean, uh, cause Jaquez has 12.3, Juzang has 12 points on the dot. And then obviously Tiger with 11.2 points. So they're averaging about 35 points per game as a trio in Chris Smith's absence. Now, I think this is a significant hit to their team overall just because of the offensive output that I feel like he could put on um, that, that he kind of, you know, could have contributed. Also, he is like their best rebounder, I feel as though. And so that's something that they definitely miss out on as well. So I think that's kind of one of those things that's a bit unfortunate, but I think Cody Riley has filled that spot pretty well so far this season he's averaging like nearly 11 points per game and six rebounds just barely behind what Chris Smith was um, averaging um because Christmas had 12.6 uh points and 6.4 rebounds so I think that I would say that maybe Cody Riley has been the guy who stepped up in the position of need that Chris Smith left the void of probably the most but like I said at the end of the day, I got to roll roll with the big homie, the best hairstylist in the game, and Tiger Campbell, who is definitely doing his thing at point guard as the primary facilitator for this Bruins team. You mentioned guys like Jamie Jaquez Jr., Johnny Juzang, and Tiger Campbell. I feel like those three guys have really picked up 
the scoring low for UCLA as all of them average in the double digits in terms of scoring. You mentioned Cody Riley. I think Cody Riley is a huge playmaker for UCLA on both sides of the floor, and he leads the team in rebounds. And I think if Cody Riley were available for that game against USC, I think that the outcome would have been would have been much different. I think that UCLA, looking looking past the USC game, I think UCLA finish out finishes out this season strong. I think if they can get key wins over Colorado, Arizona, and USC, I think that it could really turn the tide on who really wins this conference. And I think if they can win against USC, it would be beneficial to have Cody Riley healthy. But like I said, if they can beat USC, I think that they have a chance to really turn the tide and possibly regain the number one spot in the standings. I mean, I definitely agree with that to a certain extent. Definitely got to take out some of the bigger, like bigger names in the the Pac-12, obviously first to start moving up the standings. And they're one of the better three-point shooting teams in their conference at 38.2% as a team shooting, shooting uh, from beyond the arc. So I think that that's one of the biggest things that's going to keep them in the game um, and keep them hanging next to some of these like, you know, more prominent teams. Granted, I mean, you know, we're talking about a team that's second in their conference right now. So, you know, we shouldn't disrespect them too much in terms of what they could do down, uh, down the stretch in terms of running the table. But this isn't a team that, like, you know, this isn't a team that, you know, is the most potent offense in the world, and they also aren't the greatest defense in the world either. So it's re- going to be really interesting to see what they do moving forward in terms of, you know, just some of the matchups that they have going into the, you know, the conference tournament. The third team we're going to talk about now is Colorado. And Jalen, I feel like their success relies on the play of guys like McKinley Wright, Evan Batty, and Jariah Horn. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the big thing, too. I mean, obviously, with those guys in particular, it's one of those things where you have to look at the, you know, the committee play. And when you look at those guys, we're talking about for Wright, 14.9 points per game. For uh, Batty, for, for Beatty, it's 11.4 point, uh, points per game. And Horn has 11.1 points per, uh, per game. That's the crooks of what their overall team is offensively. And Wright, obviously, is like the spearhead for that because he's also the guy who averages almost six assists per game. So when you talk about truly having a grasp of the offense and running the show – He's the guy that you point the finger to. I think that the big thing that we probably need to take a look at the most when it comes to them is just the fact that we can't sleep on the fact that Jariah Horn is shooting almost 45% from three. I think that's going to be really huge for them in particular because they're going to need that moving throughout the rest of the season in order to be able to like really come out of this Pac-12 strong because I think they need to be able to shoot the three ball at a high clip. And right now they're right. You're talking about um, UCLA being the third best three point shooting team in the conference. This is the second best three point shooting uh, uh, team in the conference. And I mean, overall, I mean, we're talking about the second highest scoring offense in the Pac-12 as well. Their average is nearly 76 points per game. So I think that that's going to be really huge moving forward. They're also the third best team in the conference in terms of steals and the second best team in terms of rebounding. So this is a team that creates possessions, maintains possessions, shoots the three at a high clip, makes sure to put the ball in the basket. Like they're just an overall really good, strong built team. And with right at the top horn 
and mixed in with his three-point shooting. I think there's other very key role players like uh, Deshaun Schwartz and Jabari Walker, who both average about eight points per game. Dallas Walton's another guy who throws in a smooth another eight points per game. So, I mean, they got guys who just, you know, consistently help put the ball in the basket. And there's nobody that's really standing out defensively in terms of shot blocking or, you know, stealing the ball. But I think they just play really well as a team defense, and that's what's kept them in games as well. I would have to say that yes, that they do have they are standout, they are a standout defensive team. I think one of their better defenders is Eli Parquet, who's averaging a steal and just under a block a game. And um, you mentioned McKenley Wright, Evan Batty, and Jariah Horn. McKenley Wright leads the team in assists, and he only has three games where he hasn't scored in the double digits. And then Evan Batty um, averaging close to 11 and a half points a game and five rebounds. And he's been shooting the ball well from the field. He had 21 points in a close win against Arizona. And then Jariah Horn, like you mentioned, he's been one of the more consistent three-point shooters for Colorado. And he's also been one of the best in the conference on a team that consistently shoots the ball well from three. But looking at the schedule, uh, they have a tough stretch of games to close out the season with their last three games being against USC, UCLA, and Utah. So I think that those games really have a chance to help Colorado get some momentum heading into the conference tournament. I think one thing that should make them feel a little bit confident going into those games, though, is that they've already beaten USC earlier in the season, 72 to 62. That was uh, late. December I think that should be a good confidence booster for them also the loss to UCLA it was a three-point game this game was 65 to 62 at the beginning of January and it was really close and it came down to the couple final possessions down the stretch so I think those two games particularly should make them feel pretty you know pretty strong about where things are going to go moving forward in terms of Oregon State, I don't know exactly how worried they should be worried about that uh, be, uh, be going into that game specifically just because there's no real litmus test for how they actually match up against Oregon State. Uh, we're actually supposed to see that today. Um, uh, we're recording this on the 8th. So maybe that'll tell us a little bit more about how they match up. But I think you can say that they're not one of these teams that's going to get blown out of the water by some of the top teams in the Pac-12. They're they're right there behind everybody else um, that we've already talked about. And they're third in the Pac-12 for a reason. They've been able to hang pretty close. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this team was able to run the table and somehow, you know, rank at the bottom 20, uh, the bottom uh portion of the top 25 between like 20 and 25 by the end of the year if they really play it out so the next team we're going to talk about is Oregon and Jalen my question is about Peyton Pritchard and the impact that he had last year on Oregon's team who do you feel like this season has filled the role left by Peyton Pritchard now Ryan we are talking about one of my uh favorite little prospects here so it's kind of tough to talk about somebody filling the role, so to speak, of Peyton Pritchard. But if it had to be anybody, it would probably be Chris Duarte. He would probably be the guy that comes to mind. And you could maybe even argue he's doing it a little bit better than my boy because nearly 18 points per game, nearly two and a half steals per game, nearly two and a half assists per game, and just about five rebounds per game. I think one of the bigger things that stands out too, shooting 45% from three, 
66% from two, 55% overall from the line. I mean, golly, man. Like, the dude's shooting at a really scary clip. So I think it's one of those things that have really helped them out because of the fact that they're playing the way they're playing right now. And I got to go back to it. We did this in order. First, we had the third-ranked team in terms of being um, in terms of three-point shooting when we were talking about um, UCLA. Then we talked about the second-ranked team in Colorado. That was the second uh, in terms of three-point shooting. Well, guess who's first? The Oregon Ducks are first in three-point shooting. And even scarier, they're first in three-point attempts taken with nearly 24 three-point attempts taken per game. So they are trying to hoist that joker up. They also lead the conference in steals. And again, I think that has a lot to do with Chris as well. So I think that would be the guy, if we had to say fill in the role of Peyton Pritchard, he's probably the dude who stepped into the box and taken a serious puncher's chance at being able to hoist up Oregon as one of the better teams in the Pac-12 right now. I feel like Chris Duarte has been the main source of success for Oregon. I mean, he stepped up for them in big games. In the win against Stanford, he had 23 points, six rebounds, two blocks, and four steals. In the loss to Colorado, he had 27 points, five rebounds, two assists, two blocks, and three steals. In the win against Utah, he had 25 points, three rebounds, two assists, six steals. So he's been really one of the reasons why Oregon has been so successful. And Jalen, you've argued that he's really filled the role left by Peyton Pritchard. But I could also argue for guys who give them depth at the guard position, like LJ Figueroa, who was transfer, who transferred from St. John's. He's averaging 10 points a game and seven rebounds and one and a half steals a game. And he's been a solid contributor for this Oregon team since coming over from St. John's. I would also say Will Richardson could be another productive guard for Oregon. He just made his debut, and in his first two games, he's averaging 14.5 points a game, four rebounds, and five assists. Even though Chris Duarte is filling that role of Peyton Pritchard, I could argue that LJ Figueroa and Will Richardson have given Oregon much more depth at the guard position, which I think could be beneficial not only for their conference tournament run, but also for the March Madness tournament. Yeah, I think that should I think that's gonna be really interesting as well, just to see how they decide to play that lineup moving forward, just because they do have significant depth over there. But let's not sleep on the forward spot with uh Eugene Omarui either. He's a second leading scorer just barely behind Chris Duarte with 17.6 points per game. He's averaging 2.2 assists as well, nearly a steal and a half per game. Um, is on, on top of that, and he is their second leading rebounder with 5.1 rebounds per game or a third leading rebounder with 5.1 rebounds per game. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting moving forward just to see how this team plays offensively just because of the fact that they are the third best scoring offense in the Pac-12, but they're also the seventh, you know, I guess seventh worst defense in terms of scoring. It's like uh, in terms of scoring, so like the seventh, uh, ranked scoring defense in the conference so as well as they are at putting the ball in the basket they also struggle in terms of being able to defend it and giving up baskets as well so I think that's one of those things that's going to be really interesting moving forward because they give up a lot of threes they give up a lot of twos um maybe not in terms of like 
you know, what they, not in terms of like giving them up specifically, but in terms of conversion rate, they lit them up a lot. They're literally like one of the worst teams in terms of letting people score inside the paint in terms of their conference. So it's just going to be kind of interesting to see what they, you know, what they do. It seems like they let teams get off a lot of shots and they also convert a lot of shots. So a bad defense with a strong offense Sounds like we're talking about a watered down version of the Brooklyn Nets or something with this, but I mean, definitely not nearly the same kind of star power, but still nonetheless a dangerous team in the Pac-12. So moving on now to our next team in Stanford, Jalen, where do you believe Stanford stands in the Pac-12? So I think the big thing with Stanford, right, is that I feel like them being fifth is like not the craziest thing in the world, right? They have one of the better records in terms of conference play at eight and five, Um, They're a team that cannot be messed with when they play at home, six and one at home compared to five and four at away. I think that's one of the bigger things that obviously stands out is just the fact that even with no fans, they seem to have some kind of home court advantage thing working in their favor, um, which I find really interesting. Um, Obviously, at the end of the day, when we're looking at this team, one of the first players that comes to mind is Zaire Williams out of Sierra Canyon. Like he's the guy that's the quote unquote, NBA prospect and although we haven't really been able to see him uh to the degree that we would like to you know he's popped off here and there but we haven't really got to see the whole package get put together to the point that you have a full beat on who this guy is um he's still found a way to average 12.5 points per game averaging 2.8 steals per game uh, 2.8 assists per game 1.1 steals per game and nearly six rebounds per game as their leading uh their second leading rebounder Um, I think that one's huge. Um, But at the end of the day, I think the guy who might even stand out a lot more than Zaire in terms of this team is Oscar De uh, De Silva. I mean, leading scorer with 19.4 points per game. He's averaging nearly a block and a half per game, two and a half steals per game. And he's their leading rebounder with 7.2 rebounds. He's arguably they're like second best three-point shooter this you know as a high volume usage guy who takes almost two you know two three-pointers a game um I think the other thing that you can factor in with him is just the fact that he's been in all the games yeah <laughs> you know what I mean like he's probably their most like durable guy even Zaire Williams he's only played uh he's only played 13 games so, like, you know what I mean? It's like one of those things that kind of hurts Zaire in this stretch, like I said before, in terms of being on the court and available. Oscar Da Silva has just been more of that guy. So he might actually be the guy who stands out the most, despite the fact that Stanford has, you know, a whole NBA draft prospect on their team that has been playing relatively well. I feel like a lot of the success that Stanford has had thus far has been because of the play of their forwards. You mentioned Oscar De Silva. You mentioned Zaire Williams. Another guy you forgot to mention is Jaden Dallaire. I would say that he's been an integral part of the Stanford offense. He's averaging 13 points a game, and he's had a streak this season of 20-plus point games against Arizona, Arizona State, and USC. But just to talk about Oscar De Silva for a second, he has steadily improved. In his time at Stanford, he went from averaging six points a game his freshman year to 19 and a half points. He's also averaging seven rebounds, two and a half assists and a block a game. He's shooting close to 58% from the field, and he's had 
some great games this year. 31 and 10 against Oregon State, 27 and 13 against Washington State, 26 points in an overtime win against UCLA, and back to back 20 plus point games against California. And then you mentioned Zaire Williams. Um, he's averaging 12 and a half points a game and close to six rebounds. And he's also averaging a steal. But he had a triple double earlier in the season against Washington. So there's multiple guys that can get it done for Stanford. And I feel like their success really relies on the play of the three guys that we mentioned. And they have some tough matchups ahead of them with Colorado being next on the schedule. Yeah, I think the most interesting thing about this Stanford team, though, Ryan, is this. They're the worst three-point shooting team in the Pac-12. And they're also the worst at letting other teams shoot the three-pointer in the Pac-12. That's like the most interesting thing to me because that just goes to show you that the three ball is not in their favor on both ends of the court. But then somehow they shoot nearly 50% from the floor as a team, 47.8% from the floor, which is first in the conference. They are also lead and they're like one of the leading teams in like two point attempts. So this is a team that like lives in the paint. I think they smell themselves a little bit and realize we are just not good at shooting the three ball. So let's try to occupy in the DeMar DeRozan area as much as we humanly possibly can. And I think that they do that relatively well. I think the biggest question for them is going to be how much of a hindrance is that three-point shooting going to be when you're talking about moving into the tournament, not just the Pac-12 tournament, but obviously March Madness specifically, because we know about the magic moments that take place from the deep ball. We've seen cardiac Kemba a couple of times with that kind of stuff a long time ago as well. But also we've seen a lot of big performances uh, here in Maryland, obviously part of the big upset that we saw by UMBC was the three guard lineup and it was three point barrage by that team. So it just goes to show you how valuable that, that aspect of the game obviously is. We see it in the NBA as well. The fact that they're one of the worst teams in their league by itself, let alone in the country from back there, you got to wonder how long that's going to be able to hold up in terms of being able to keep them afloat come tournament time where things are going to get a lot tighter and things are going to get a lot harder for teams to be able to score inside the paint because they're going to be guarding that three-point line with their lives. So moving on now to our next team in Oregon State. And Jalen, I want to pose the same question that I posed with Stanford. Where do you believe that Oregon State stands in the Pac-12? So I think Oregon State is a really interesting team because they, I mean, they are so weird. Like, I was looking at their lines for, like, most of their games over the last couple of, like, you know, over like maybe the last week or two, particularly. So I'm started the most recent game being February 6th. Uh, that was the game against Washington State, one by two. Game before the uh, game before that, they play Washington, beat them by 20, 91 to 71. Lose to UCLA by five. And then you have a loss to USC where you lose by 13. You beat Oregon by elect by by what? Like 11. Then you beat USC by two. I mean, this is obviously going backwards instead of progressing, but like nonetheless, it's one of those things where like if I keep leading it off, beat Arizona State by one. Like it's one of those things that's really interesting because they're so on and off and I can't really get a beat on who they are because 
they don't really have any like consistent winning that shows you that like they can really put, you know, some kind of streak together. So I think Oregon State is probably being sixth is probably right about where they make sense to be right now with the fact that they haven't really established who they are as a team in terms of being one of the pure forces in the Pac-12. So I think it's going to be really interesting overall to see if they can kind of forge some kind of identity or figure out who they want to be because honestly, offensively, they're not a really good team and defensively, they're not really a good team. So being sixth in the Pac-12 as a middle of the pack team sounds just about right when you put it in perspective. I think Oregon state is a very interesting team. I think mainly because of the streak of wins that they had over Arizona state, USC and Oregon, they have a good backcourt duo with Ethan Thompson and Gerard Lucas, who are both capable of playing up solid games, but they also have Warith Alatiche who leads the team in rebounds and blocks he doesn't have a lot of double digit scoring games this season but he makes up for it by being the defensive anchor that Oregon State needs him to be simply by attacking the glass and blocking shots and I think these three players Thompson Lucas and Alatiche I think that these players can help Oregon State finish out the season strong and defeat some of the great teams that they still have left to play Yeah, I think the biggest thing when you look at Oregon State is just the fact that I go back to the whole middle of the pack thing. And when you're a middle of the pack team, there comes that point in the season where you have to make a transition to discover transition to discovering who you are as a team, your identity. Right. And I think one of the biggest things that they need to work on is the fact that they are the third best assisting team in the conference, which shows that they're sharing the ball. It shows that they're sharing the rock. And obviously, I think Ethan Thompson has a lot to do with that. He's the lead guy averaging 4.1 assists per game. So that's the good part of it. But they're also the second worst team in their conference in terms of turnovers per game. So their assist to turnover ratio is not really that great. They're averaging 15, basically 15 assists per game to 11 turnovers per game. Like that essentially is one of those things that, again, for a middle of the pack team, You share the ball, but you also love sharing with the other team. (laughs) So it's one of those things that it hurts you, you know, offensively. And it makes sense when you look at their overall standing, they're 10th in their conference in scoring. That's like, I mean, that's the bottom of the barrel, despite the fact that there's six team in the the conference. So I think with them, their biggest thing is if your calling card is moving the ball, you can't turn the ball over as well, like at at a high clip. If that's your calling card, that needs to be your calling calling card. I think one of the other things that really helps them, I think should be touched on, is the fact that they're a really good free throw shooting team. They're shooting almost 80% from the free throw line, and they're the fifth best team in the conference in attempts. I think the biggest thing for them, because they're not great shooting the two, they're not great shooting the three, they're not really good shooting from the floor, hence the bad offensive rating, I think their biggest thing now is that they need to just be more aggressive with all this ball movement and stuff and start getting to the rack more. Like you're already one of the top five teams in your conference in terms of getting to the line. Keep running that well, my dude. Like, I mean, I don't know how often they're going to give you calls in March Madness because, you know, stuff happens. But at the end of the day, I think if your calling card is the James Harden train to the basket, create contact and shoot at a high clip. Like I said, they're the second best free throw shooting team 
in the conference. So the more that they get to the line, the better they have a chance of staying in some of these games. So I think if there's anything they can work on, turn the ball over less, keep moving the rock like you're doing, and get that free throw percentage up even further by getting to the rack even more because that's that seems to be their best attribute right now, offensively at least. So the last team that we're going to talk about in the Pac-12 before we move on to our sleepers is Arizona. Jalen, do you believe that Arizona can make some noise in the conference tournament? So this one is really rough. I got to say no, and I think it's just out of the fact that the teams that I think have no business really hanging with Arizona are the ones that are giving Arizona the most trouble. Like, it's not that they're losing, it's how they're losing. So losing to Stanford by nine, I feel like that's kind of a big deal. Losing to Cal uh, or beating, beating Cal by 21, I think that's like an interesting take on things. But then losing to Utah by double digits is like, that's the regression to the mean. You know what I mean? Like lose by less than double digits to Stanford respectable loss, but still kind of questionable as to how that game went, especially if you look back at the game specifically. Let's look back at what really happened. There was no Zaire Williams in that game. Oscar De Silva was, I wouldn't say held in check, but 17-5-3, and and the guy who really showed up for them was Jaden Dallaire, who came out with 21 points. That was really their calling card in that game was probably, probably Dallaire, but still a game that was kind of like, you know, nip and tuck. And then you look at the game against Utah, that double-digit loss. I mean, basically, if we're going to be honest, Azulas Tubelis, I hope I'm saying his name right, he's from Lithuania. He had 17-7. and seven. He was probably the only living, breathing player for Arizona in that game, it felt like. If you really go back and watch it, it seemed like the quietest 17 points that you'll ever see on a basketball court in terms of the college game. And then, you know, they get into this game where they lose by three to Colorado. I think that's actually a respectable loss when you really look at it out of the fact that, you know, Colorado, you know, we talked about them earlier. They're one of the better three-point shooting teams in the league. And if we look at that game specifically, they shot 55% from three in that game. So that's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a respectable loss. That one makes a little bit more sense. I think maybe the losses against Stanford and Utah are the ones that glare the most that go to make you wonder just how like good this team is because they, they're another team kind of similar to when we were talking about Oregon state, where it was kind of like, when are they going to put two or three games together? That's like, you know, that's my real thing. Like going into Pac-12 play, like when are they going to really finally start finding their stride and putting two, three games together? And so far that's been one of those things that they've struggled with because honestly, I don't think picking on Arizona State two games in a row is your way of saying that you're a dominant force in the Pac-12. And that's, I mean, that's pretty much the only time they've really showed us anything strong is that three-game stretch in the early parts of January where they beat Oregon State and then beat Arizona State back-to-back. Other than that, they haven't really told us a lot about, you know, who they are as a team. So here's the thing. I think Arizona going into this season, they, they were put in a tough situation because they lost a couple of their top players to the NBA draft, Nico Mannion, Josh Green, and Zeke Naji. However, they have had solid production at the guard position this year from guys like James Akingo, 
who's averaging close to 15 points and close to six assists and just over a steal and a half a game. And then Benedict Mathurin, who even though he's averaging close to 12 points a game, he's had some high scoring games this season, 31 points against Oregon State, 24 and 11 against Washington State, 22 points against Colorado. But they've also had additional scoring from Azulas Tabulas, who is averaging 11 points a game. And then Christian Coloco, I feel like, is the defensive anchor for this team as he leads the team in blocks. So I feel like even though they're in a tough situation, they have the chance to pull off some upsets in the conference tournament. I think that with the talent that they have in the guard position, they could they could outmatch some of the teams in the Pac-12, maybe pull out an upset. But I think it really just comes down to the play from their guards at Kingo and Mathurin in order for this team to really succeed in the conference tournament. And with Jendrick uh, Kingo, the thing with him is that, you know, it's really interesting. Like, for those who might not know, this is Mac McClung's old backcourt partner back at Georgetown. Like, that was the most interesting about him is just the fact that he was one of those transfers – out of Georgetown that had moved on like a season or two ago and is low-key kind of just been flying under the radar as a guy for Arizona. I think one of the big things to touch on for them, though, that that I think should be noted in terms of this team being a legit threat in the Pac-12 is they're the best scoring team in the Pac-12. That is excellent. They're basically third best in steals and blocks. Excellent. First in assists per game with nearly 16 points, 16 assists per game. Excellent. Second best rebounding team. Excellent. Notice there's a lot of excellent things that are going on here. They also lead the entire league in free throw attempts. They're, I think they're actually like tied for first in three-point shooting because they shoot, they're shooting about 39% from three. So they're, I guess I was talking about a team earlier that was number one in three-point shooting. I think that based on these percentages, they're actually like nearly identical in the sense that Arizona is actually tied for first as a three-point shooting team. So I think the fact that they're that they are in a position where as an overall team on both sides of the ball, they do a lot of things well. I think that that is something that will really help them. Now, it's weird that they're ranked like this because of the fact that the two things that kind of stand out to me in terms of them defensively is they're the worst fouling team in their conference, which is like really interesting to look at because, I mean, the fact that they have these kind of rotational players like this, it just goes to let you know that like maybe a lot of them are just playing in foul trouble and that's what's hurting their production the most. The other thing that I would say is the fact that this is another one of those teams that when it comes to the three ball, it is just very interesting to look at them. One of the better three-point shooting teams, but they're the 10th worst I guess, 10th worst three-point defense in terms of letting up almost 38% to to other teams three-point shooting-wise. So I think if we're going to go to the X's and O's and uh, Willie's and Joe's, you know, way of looking at it, I think James Akinjo is one of those bigger guys that has to step up big for them. Jamari Baker is another dude, averages 12 points per game. Uh, nearly two assists per game, nearly three rebounds per game. I think that's huge. Benedict, Benedict Mathurin, I believe is how you uh, pronounce his name. He averages almost 12 points per game as well at 11.7, and he is their leading rebounder with 6.1 rebounds per game. I think that is all things that – I mean, he's also their, like, 
what their best three-point shooter legitimately in terms of talking about like a significant amount of attempts he's taking at least you know just over three attempts per game and is shooting 46 percent from three so he's probably their best legitimate three-point shooter as well so there's they got some squad they got some guys on the squad for sure it's just like i said we just haven't been able to see them put two games together really against good competition so we can't really measure them yet so before we transition to our question of the day for our fans, let's talk about our sleepers. Jalen, who is one team in the Pac-12 that you believe is a sleeper? So, Ryan, realistically, I think we're, go- we're both going to have the same team on this one, but I wouldn't be surprised if maybe you went out on a limb and picked someone else. But I think it has to be Arizona State. I mean, that's the one that stands out to me. Obviously, they're not doing that well in terms of conference play. They're 3-5 and five in the conference. Uh They haven't played nearly as many, you know, games in terms of, you know, just solid overall performances this season. But so far, hey, we're talking about them at this moment, and they've got two back-to-back wins against California and Stanford. So I think that's huge. Obviously, the the talking talking point of this team, similar to Stanford with Zaire Williams, Arizona State obviously has a guy in Josh Christopher who is the NBA prospect guy who's been playing relatively okay this season. They also have Marvin Bagley, the third's uh, brother, Marcus Bagley, on the team and has been playing relatively well. But, of course, I think when you really look at the statistics at the end of the day, Remy Martin is the guy who is, you know, the player for this team. And, I mean, in that game against Stanford, for example, he had 23-2-6. and six. So – He's obviously the lead guy for this team. I just think the weird part about this team offensively is the fact that with the lineup they have, it's a lot of like pass to action, pass to action, pass to action, but it's not really anybody doing anything. So it's weird. They have like a lot of different offensive options, but no real offense that's being ran for anybody. So it's kind of like a weird your turn, my turn, off the grab, isolation stuff. Like everybody's kind of just like playing with contestants in their face, Josh Christopher never really seems like he's playing with any kind of real space in this offense. Like, I just feel like Arizona State needs to figure out, like, who they are offensively because if it's just Remy Martin, Josh Christopher going 1v1 against the rest of the, you know, going 1v1 in isolations with Marcus Bagley maybe trying to play some actions and stuff like that, like, this team is not going to be that good. Like, realistically, like, you cannot play – one-on-five basketball offensively in the Pac-12, despite the fact that there's not too many, like, great defensive teams in this conference. So, I mean, I think they just need to figure out who they are offensively because this backcourt is confusing in terms of what they're going to do moving forward. Yeah, I think there is kind of a chemistry issue with Arizona State, which is why they haven't really been able to win a lot of the games that you expected them to win. Just looking at the stretch of games that they lost, they lost to UTEP 76 to 63. They lo- they lose to UCLA in overtime. They lose to USC. They lose to Oregon State. And they lose to Arizona twice back to back. I feel like a lot of these games for Arizona State, these are winnable games. And I feel like they have the talent on their team, which is why I, I picked them as a sleeper. I think outside the top seven, this is the most talented team in the Pac-12. And I think with the talent that they have, they have to figure out what works. I think Remy Martin is turning out to be a go-to guy 
maybe a number one option over Josh Christopher. I would say that Josh Christopher is the most NBA ready prospect of the team from Arizona State. He's shooting 44% from the field. He's also averaging 15 points a game, close to five rebounds, and just over a steal and a half a game too. So he's getting it done on both sides of the floor. I think their best three-point shooter is uh, Alonzo Verge Jr. He's averaging 37.5% from three, but he's also shooting 40% from the field. And then Marvin Bagley's brother, Marcus Bagley, is averaging 11 and six a game. So I feel like there's a lot of options for Arizona State here. I think the interesting thing is that how are they going to be able to see, how are they going to be able to find what works? I think that's the main question going into the Pac-12 tournament. Yeah, and I mean, there's a definitely a, a weird little dogfight for who is like the quote-unquote dark horse coming out the bottom of the Pac-12 because the question is whether or not the Pac-12 really can go deeper than maybe seven. If, you know, even go the full seven, depending on how bottom of the barrel uh, teams in that seven, like Arizona, Oregon State, um, Stanford to a lesser degree as well, kind of act up down the down the stretch and going into the Pac-12 tournament. But in terms of the teams outside outside of the top seven, I think you can't sleep on Arizona State. Obviously, we're leading with that. But I think Utah, obviously, out of the teams that are left in this, they're the they're the next best team in terms of performing in the conference at five and six against conf- in conference play, and Washington State too, like. Technically, they have the better record than any other team that's in the bottom portion of this listing. Out of the bottom five, they're 11 and eight. No other team in the bottom five has double-digit wins. So I think that Washington State is arguable. I think it's just the big thing that hurts them is four and eight in conference play is obviously, like, really tough to, like, you know, fight against. Like, it's kind of hard to kind of argue against four and eight. But honestly – they probably would be like the next best team if we're talking about who they are, you know, outside of the Pac-12. The only thing is, I'm not really sure how far that'll get them. If we're talking about the talking about getting into the tournament, they're gonna have to get a couple of impressive wins within their conference to really start standing out and make a play and make a push for the NCAA tournament. Otherwise, I think Arizona's got a chance. They put two games together right now and they're riding the wave. So we'll see what they do as they go along. And I think the interesting thing with Washington State, like you mentioned, they've been struggling to win in conference games. As soon as they finish their out-of-conference games with a win against Northwestern State, they lose to Arizona in double overtime. That's a close loss. They end up beating California, and then they go on a long losing streak until they beat Washington. So I just think that if they can start racking up some in-conference wins, I think they're in play as possible contenders for the Pac-12 Conference Championship. Yeah, I think the bottom is very interesting. I think the entire Pac-12 is going to be something that's going to be really interesting come, like, NCAA tournament time. But I think even before that, the Pac-12 tournament is going to be kind of interesting because I feel like any of these teams can be had. I think USC is kind of like a step above everybody else just because they probably have the best overall single talent in the conference with Evan Mobley. But I think outside of that, I think the rest of it's going to be a pretty even dogfight where really it could come down to one or two possessions as deciding some of these games. It could be really interesting in figuring out who will become, you know, the Pac-12 champ and punch their ticket. So it's going to be really interesting to see what every team does in there because it's crouchy. 
So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, what team in the Pac-12 do you believe is a dark horse? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.